Today, uh, uh, from me, good morning from me, good morning boys and girls, uh, great to see you all here uh, this morning. Um, this morning, as Colin said, is, is Harvest Thanksgiving Sunday, and it's when we focus uh, on all God's goodness to us, uh, everything that he's given, uh, and uh, as we focus on that, we give generously to the needs of others, uh, as we see here below. This morning we're thinking about giving, and in true Charlotte Chapel fashion, I have three G's for you. Three G's of giving. Generosity, grace, and gratitude. And of course it's important that that what I say, uh, what we learn this morning, comes from the Bible. Uh, It doesn't come from me. And so we're going to open our Bibles and turn to a passage in the Bible that touches on these issues. And we're going to read it through together. It's part of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to some Christians in a place called Corinth. So if you have a Bible, do flick through to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll read it together. Now while you're finding that, let me just set the scene for you a little bit. In all his journeys, Paul has been collecting money to give uh, to the suffering church in Jerusalem. To relieve their suffering. Christianity is relatively new uh, at this time. And followers of Christ in Jerusalem couldn't necessarily count on support from the authorities there. And so uh, Paul sets up what could be described as the very first uh, Blue Peter appeal fund for the relief of Christians in Jerusalem. So as Paul writes, he wants to encourage the, the Corinthian church to give generously. So let's read together. It says this. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes, for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Well, the first G of giving that we're going to look at this morning is generosity. What does it mean to be generous? What is generosity? Well, probably... We'd have all sorts of ideas about uh, lavish, extravagant gifts. Uh, I wonder what those sort of things might be. Maybe a brand new iPhone. Uh, Perhaps uh, Xbox 360. A diamond ring, girls. A shopping spree in New York, perhaps. All very extravagant gifts. And uh, I will just let you know that it was my birthday last Sunday. So if you do uh, feel as though you'd like to slip something on my door, do feel free. Any of those gifts would be more, more than welcome. I'm not so sure about the diamond ring, but maybe it'll come in handy in, in a few years' time. 
<laughs> well, perhaps you might think that to be generous, you first need to have lots of money. Well, the Bible shows us that that isn't true. Did you notice what Paul said about the Macedonian churches in the passage that we read? Paul uses them as an example of real generosity. Verse 2, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The Macedonian churches, uh, Macedonian Christians, were poor. They didn't have a lot of money to throw around on lavish, extravagant gifts. Every day they would struggle to make ends meet. In fact, they barely had enough money to, to survive, and every day they would suffer because they followed Christ. Yet, do they use their poverty as an excuse for not giving? Absolutely not. Rather, they gave beyond what they could reasonably be expected to give, far more than they could afford. Do you remember Jesus uh, telling us about the widow's offering? Well, sitting across in the offering box, he was observing how the crowds tossed money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, The truth is, this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. You see, it's not so important what we give. It's the way that we give it. And so we read that the Macedonian Christians gave cheerfully and enthusiastically. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Are we that cheerful and enthusiastic when it comes to helping those in need? Later on in his letter, Paul tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. And so God's love shone out through the Macedonians. We've had a number of opportunities to give here in Charlotte Chapel recently, uh, next to the, the, the weekly offering that we take up. Uh, there was a, an offering for Peru recently. And in fact, also last week, we heard about opportunities to sponsor a child through Compassion UK. I'm not sure what, uh, what the take-up in that was, but maybe that's something to consider. Maybe you as a family could commit to adopt a child. Maybe you could put in some of your pocket money or if you've got a job, some of your earnings. Maybe that's something, something to, to think about. Well, Paul didn't have to twist the arms of the Macedonians to give a contribution. In fact, they were begging. Not begging for money to relieve their own poverty, but begging for an opportunity to help others. That's amazing, don't you think? That out of their extreme poverty, they would be cheerful and enthusiastic givers, even beyond their own ability to give. When was the last time you heard anyone in a church service say, Hallelujah! Here comes the offering. It doesn't happen. Where does that kind of cheerful, sacrificial attitude to giving come from? Well, the Macedonian Christians, as we read, gave themselves first to the Lord. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us 
in keeping with God's will. Paul was taken quite off guard. Rather than asking questions like, how much, how much can we afford to give? Better check with the treasurer. Have we got any big bills coming up? Rather than that, they just gave. And not just money, but they gave themselves. Not just to the Christians in Jerusalem, but to the Lord. See, once you've given yourself to God, you realize that the things you own aren't actually yours, but God's. God is the maker of all things. He's the owner of all things. In Psalm 24, we read, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The Macedonian Christians were wonderful examples of generosity. Though they were poor, though they suffered great trials, through their poverty they gave generously and cheerfully with enthusiasm. First to the Lord, then to the church in Jerusalem. The Corinthians were actually pretty good, Paul says. You've got great faith. You say the right things. You know your Bible. Your love for us is sincere. You're earnest. You've got all these things then, but see to it that you also excel in this giving business. And Paul wants to make it clear that this isn't a command. He says in his letter, each man should give uh, what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Corinth, just as you excel in these things, see to it that you, like the Macedonians, also excel in this grace of giving. Though they themselves were needy, they considered it a privilege to share what they had with Christians who had even less. They didn't limit their giving to putting money into the offering. They got in there with the offering, uh, in the offering bag with the money. They put themselves in there with it. The Macedonian Christians provided the church of Corinth a wonderful example of generous giving. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Let's take it back to verse 1. It says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Second G, grace. It's God-given. It comes from God. But what does it mean? Well, we come to verse 9, where Paul offers the Corinthian church the ultimate expression of generous giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The Macedonians only gave because they'd already received so much from God. And what they give back is just a mere token of the vast riches that they've received in Christ. Christ is the eternal Son of God, is rich above all we could ever understand. He's rich in all things. Listen to what Paul writes in one of his other letters. For by him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's Christ. Christ didn't have a beginning. He existed before 
that starry night in Bethlehem. He's the eternal son of God. The words awesome gets uh, bounded around these days. That's an awesome shirt, Mike. Really? Jesus Christ is awesome. His, he inspires awe and wonder. Listen to what John writes in another book of the Bible. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits in the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor, glory and power forever and ever. Christ was rich in all things. But just as the Macedonian churches gave themselves first to God, Jesus gave himself first to God's will. God's will is that we, being created by him, would love him and be in a relationship with him. That's the way life was designed to be lived. But it wasn't long before we ruined that design by our actions and we chose separation from God. Because God is perfect and sinless, it's impossible for anything imperfect or sinful to be in his presence. And that leaves us with an unbridgeable gap between us and God. Yet although God hates our sin, he hates our wickedness, he hates all the wrong things that we do every day, he loves us all the same and he couldn't bear to be separated from us. And God who is rich in all things shows that he is also rich in love. And so he made a way back by which we can bridge that unbridgeable gap and restore that relationship with him the only way he could through the sacrificial death of his son. And so Jesus, who is rich in all things, in glory, in honor, in power, in majesty, he laid aside those riches and became poor for our sakes. Where are his riches now? Born of the Virgin Mary, the house of Joseph, raised as a refugee in Egypt, trained as a carpenter in Nazareth, he wandered the countryside preaching, teaching, healing. He was in the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. And knowing what lay ahead, his heart was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. His friends disown him. And his last kiss comes from Judas, who betrays him. The sinless Son of God is accused and tried by sinful men, mocked, beaten, and nailed to a cross to die. And in his dying hours, as the darkness grew, he cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Rejected by man, forsaken by God, and all this for the likes of you and me, bearing our sins on that cross. Where are his riches now? What does Christ have to show for his anguish and his sorrow, for his pain, for the torment and his death? Nothing but the likes of us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Isn't this miracle of grace amazing? This is the grace that was given to the Macedonian church. This is the grace that's freely available to you and I today. I was always taught that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. What an expense. And so now we, through his poverty, might become rich. Christ's death was the only way by which we could be made right with God. No one else could pay the price for the sins of mankind than the perfect, spotless Son of God. And on the third day, he rose to life again, victorious, proving that he alone has power over life and death. So now all who believe in him can receive that gift of grace, that gift of new life in Christ. Not just now, in this life, wonderful though that is, but forever and ever and ever. Reconnected the way it was supposed to be. We become friends of God. Greater than that, we become his children when we trust in Jesus and accept that free gift. God's riches at Christ's expense. We, through his poverty, can become rich. No, he doesn't promise us iPhones or Xboxes, diamond rings or shopping sprees in New York. The riches he offers are far greater Far more extravagant. Far costlier. What's our response to this? The third G. Gratitude. What do you do when somebody offers you a gift? We have a choice. You can either accept it and say thank you. Or you can reject it. It's up to you. And so God offers you that free gift this morning. His grace. His riches. Forgiveness of sins and a life everlasting with Him. When you accept that gift and realize the full extent of its costliness, we can do nothing but praise God with gratitude and thanksgiving. And that, like the Macedonian churches, should overflow in all things, in our compassion, in our cheerful, sacrificial giving. What is it that you're giving other than that which he's already given to you? We began by thinking of some examples of lavish, extravagant gifts. The most extravagant, lavish, costly gift in all of history is available to you today. Will you accept it with gratitude? Will you, with Paul, say thanks be to God for his indescribable gift?